I'm Kelly Drake, and you're listening to Hop In My U-Haul. In this podcast, I'll be taking you all around New York City and beyond to some really unique lesbian and queer spaces. You'll meet lesbian artists, entrepreneurs, and leaders that have become staples in their communities. Oh, and you might be wondering why we're in a U-Haul. Well, I met this girl last week and she's really cute. We're going on a date at this vegan restaurant in Bushwick and I'm so excited. I have a really good feeling about it. Anyway, let's hit the road. Hop on in. On West 16th Street, between 5th and 6th Avenues, you can find the Church of St. Francis Xavier. When you walk in, you're met with grand golden vaulted ceilings and incredible stained glass windows with sunlight pouring through them. Though I'm not religious, I felt a peacefulness when I sat in the pews. As I sat there, musicians from the Cecilia Chorus of New York were rehearsing for a concert they have upcoming on Saturday night. At St. Francis Xavier, their mission as a Roman Catholic parish in the Jesuit tradition states that, as a people of hope, we commit ourselves through prayerful and creative discernment to respond to God in our time by being a respectful community where seekers and their questions are welcomed, where injustice is challenged, where the poor, the alienated, and the marginalized find a home, and where people are refreshed, reconciled, and renewed. It's no wonder that this particular parish hosts a group that I recently came across and have been fascinated by, the Catholic Lesbians. They have an official page on the website for St. Francis Xavier and are included in the weekly church bulletins put out by the parish. I had never heard of a group like this one, so I decided to talk to one of its members, Stephanie Samoy. She's a highly active member of Catholic Lesbians, and she was able to give me some more insight about what the group is all about. The group started with men and women, gay men and women, gay uh, Catholics back in 1993, and it was off-site, not in church. Um, and I guess that uh, they lost their space or something, and they got into the church. Um, a sister, Ann Cetarella, uh, she was able to talk to the staff, and they got the Catholic lesbians and, and gay men into the church of St. Francis Xavier. And we've been there since 1995. I joined the ch- or I started coming, I got back to church after like 25, 30 years of not going um, in 2001. And uh, so I've been there ever since. So I think I am probably the longest tenured person for Catholic lesbians. Um, and it's a great group. It's great people. I'm so interested. So, you know, Oftentimes, people don't associate queerness with religion, right. or like oftentimes, queerness is shunned by religious groups. Yeah. I'm so interested in why you all felt the need to. I mean, I it seems maybe apparent, but mm-hmm. why was this group started? Yeah, you know, if you have to think back in the nineteen mid nineteen nineties and even before then, and even now, there's still hate in the Catholic Church and many churches, all denominations. And so, you know, but you can't divide who you are. There are cradle Catholics, and there are people who've converted to Catholicism, and it's all about, you know, God, love, finding and discovering who they are fully. And if that includes faith, there should be a place where they can go. So I know that a lot of Catholics, they found that at Xavier. It's not the norm, which is sad to say, but there are people who are trying to um, reach out to other parishes and really do outreach ministry to queer 
queer Catholics. I think a lot of Catholics and whatever denomination you are, you figure out what's your truth and what what jibes. And um, yeah, one thing people forget about the Catholic Church, and there are horrible things historically, how they've controlled and oppressed people and still do. But there's this aspect of Roman Catholicism, which is steeped in social justice. And I think a lot of people find comfort in that. So, you know, when we talk about feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, you know, loving the unloved, those are aspects that I think anyone can get their arms around and and live. But you're right. There's a lot of horrible treatment about being queer in the church. So, you know, some people stay. Some people, one young woman who came to Catholic Lesbian said, you know, I'm a woman, I'm Italian. I'm Catholic and I'm queer. You can't you can't excise one or the other. I'm all of that. And I thought that was an interesting I I you know, I hold on to that. It's like, yeah, you can't divide aspects of yourself, you know, that's unhealthy. So, I'm glad we were there for her. I always tell people we're here and uh and we're queer. Get used to it, you know. Yeah, <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. 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 That's I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so, can you tell me a little bit more about what the Catholic lesbians like what the group does? Sure. So, we are Catholic, but we also welcome seekers. We we welcome practicing Catholics, non-Catholics, Catholic friends, women, and it's a place where we can get together and be social, talk about faith. We usually have a topic every month. We usually plan our calendar in January, and each member or whoever, anybody who comes in and, and feels compelled to talk about something, say, female saints, women saints, or we have an art professor who is going to do something on Native American art in March, you know, tying in art and, and spirituality, if there is that tie. What else have we had? You know, May is the month of Mary, and um, sometimes we'll do a Mary Magdalene Mass uh, or prayer service. Christmas time, every Christmas, we've had 15 years now of uh, it's a wrapping party, and we started small. But basically, it's getting Christmas gifts for children in need. And uh, we started with like maybe 50 children, and now it's up to like 200, 300 children. It's, and, you know, they count on us every year to get gifts to them for Christmas. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, it's really, it's something, it's special. And it started with Catholic lesbians, and we've involved all of the parish and people who hear about it who aren't even Catholic, they'll come and wrap gifts. So that's really, yeah, that's yeah. amazing. What do you think the importance is of groups like Catholic Lesbians? And are you seeing more of them pop up elsewhere? Is this something that there's a demand for? You know, I see younger people coming to our group. And I don't know how it's getting out there because we're still, we have an AOL address. (laughs) But we do have some young uh, lesbians and queer folk who are talking about social media, so good. But is there a need for it? There is a need for it. I know people do searches online and they find Catholic Lesbians. It's tough to get a group like that started. This is not the norm. And I did bring you a church bulletin just so you have it. I mean, it's really historical to have in a church bulletin, a Roman Catholic church bulletin, Catholic lesbians and what we're doing. And it's not about conversion therapy, like courage. You know, it's not that. It's like you are who you are. Come. Yeah. So there's a... There's absolutely a need. When we march during the Pride March in June, we hand out, our whole thing is about outreach, and we hand out church bulletins. And, you know, we've gotten a few people every every year who come to Xavier unbelieving that there's a Catholic church who welcomes them as they are. It's unheard of. So we continue to do that. 
it's small scale, but you know, this is our little world. We'll do what we can here and everyone has to do their part. But yeah, we had a woman from Uganda. She leads a, a gay organization and she's been threatened. Her life has been threatened. And, you know, she has to pretend that she's the aunt to her partner's children, although she, that's her wife. And she will get murdered if, you know, and she's been threatened. So, you it's know, scary. it is, I mean, you're talking about life and death and trying to be who you are. And, you know, there are courageous people all over the world. We're in New York City. We're in a bubble. I understand that. I think a lot of Catholic lesbians and gay Catholics and queer Catholics and queer folk know. That's why we're in New York City. I mean, that's why I moved from Arizona. I'm not going to be out and proud in Arizona back in the 80s. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, things are changing, which is wonderful. But it's slow. It's slow. After talking to Stephanie, I wanted to get some more context about what it means for a queer group to exist within the larger Catholic community. So I talked to Jamie Manson. She's a journalist who writes a column for the National Catholic Reporter about the intersection of queer and feminist issues in the Catholic community. And to my knowledge, I'm the only out lesbian in the Catholic media in the world. So I find that to be so interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. So, okay. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I guess let's begin maybe at when you got the job there. Were you out when you applied for the job there? I don't I don't actually have a job there. That's what's interesting about my life. Basically what happened is I'd been working at a church and was fired for insubordination uh, oh, no. <laughs> at a Protestant church, not even a Catholic church. I had worked at St. Francis Xavier for two years, and then I went to a Protestant church, got fired. And by chance, I had just started writing a monthly column in the National Catholic Reporter. A friend and I had pitched it because they needed more young voices, so we pitched a new column called Young Voices. And we each wrote a column, and the editor said, great, and so I would write once a month. And that was in 2008. My particular contributions became so popular that they asked me to do a weekly column. And I did that for years, and then I pulled back a bit, and now I'm back doing weekly again because these times call for it. When you started all these columns, were they about queerness? Great. Perfect question. So my very first column in 2008, I came out as a lesbian, and I didn't even think twice about it. I didn't know how rare that was. I mean, that's scary. Yeah, I didn't know how rare it was. I mean, obviously, you know, being at Xavier made me very comfortable with my sexuality. You know, if you can feel comfortable as a lesbian in a Catholic parish, then you can feel comfortable anywhere. So I think I just, you know, uh, I was so—I never had uh, conflict with my sexuality and my faith. It's really been a gift. And I just came out, and our— you know, our public, our editor at the time, his daughter was bi, and he was, you know, always very progressive, and he didn't even think twice about it. So I got very lucky. That's you know. That seems to be rare in the Catholic community. Exceedingly rare. There are a lot of queer people in the Catholic Church mm-hmm. <laughs> serving in it, writing, in journalism, but most of them are very closeted, yeah. you know, um, because it's still—the teachings are still terrible, so. Do you write about— being a lesbian, like a Catholic woman who's a lesbian, or is it just kind of about, what is your column about? so my my column is called Grace on the Margins, and that's based on the first column I ever wrote for the National Catholic Reporter, which was called The Grace of Living on the Margins. Basically, I started out just talking about wanting to be a priest, feeling called from the age of 14 to be a Catholic priest, and just constantly getting rejected and told no. So a lot of my early work was about struggling, like, 
why stay Catholic? Why should I still call myself Catholic? The church has rejected me not only because of who I am and my gender, but also my sexual orientation. So a lot of the work had to do with that in the in the early days. And I still, I mean, I can't go a couple of weeks if I'm not writing about feminism or queer issues or both. So that is a lot of it. I feel a certain um, responsibility having that platform as a queer woman that is unheard of to to keep bringing that up, you know, because I have the freedom to do it. Absolutely, yeah. I would love to know what aspects of your journey lined up in a way that gave you this platform, because it is so rare, right? It's Mm -hmm. not something that a lot of Catholic lesbians or queer people in general can find their way to. So I I don't know if you have any sort of reflections on was it chance? Was it luck? You know, <laughs> some of it is luck. Some of it is timing. Um, the National Catholic Reporter is an independent. Uh, it used to be a new, just a newspaper. Now it's really a media outlet. And so it's uh, it's an it's independent of the church. And that makes it unique among most Catholic publications, which are either owned by dioceses or bishops or even America magazine, which is more progressive, is a Jesuit magazine. So ultimately, it's still owned by the church. So I got lucky in that I found an independent Catholic magazine that was very progressive, that had a very forward-thinking editor, and got in, you know, when they finally started to include some young voices in it. And I was out of work, so... (laughs) Perfect timing. (laughs) It worked out great. Not that I was ever paid full-time, and I'm still not paid full-time by them, um, even after 11 years. But mm -hmm, I mean, I guess that's independent journalism, though. Yes, yes. I would love to hear more about this struggle of being a woman Mm -hmm. in the Catholic faith. Yeah. And then on top of that, queerness. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really, really very challenging. And, you know, I have a master's degree in theology. So the more that you look at it theologically, you see that what the Catholic teaching is essentially is that God has this plan for men and for women. And God has indicated what God's plan is by the way in which God has designed our genitalia. It really is about penises and vaginas. It really is. And That's um, so interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's so basic. I, I hear conservative Catholics try to make it into this beautiful system. And I'm like, it's really so basic. So in other words, what God is telling us is that men are meant to lead and be an authority, right? And so men can only be priests, therefore. Women, because of the way their anatomy is, are meant to be receivers and nurturers, right? Oh, they're vessels for mm-hmm. men, you know, are meant to serve. So men right. leave, women serve. Really what it is is men are in power and women submit. That's really ultimately what this is about. But that's the basis for why women can't be priests. That's the basis for why women have no decision-making power in the church, no voice. All of these teachings, no woman has ever had a, had a voice in the creation of these teachings. The Catholic Church is the most radically patriarchal institution in the world. And part of that is that even though you have, uh, like, evangelicals are very patriarchal, but their, pre- their ministers marry. Mormons are super patriarchal, but they marry. In fact, they fetishize marriage. We have men who are ostensibly celibate, have no knowing, you know, really encounters with women, um, certainly not as their equals. And so it's really radical. And you have a church, and that the unfortunate thing is the Catholic Church is really powerful politically and in terms of health care. And so they wield a lot of power over women's bodies. Uh, the Catholic Church is still the only church that still bans contraception oh, wow. in all of its forms. Um, 
and uh, artificial contraception. I mean, obviously you could abstain, so that's technically <laughs> right. contraception, but you know, um, how's that working out? Yeah, uh, not so great. <laughs> so I say all that because of the power that the Catholic Church it has over women's bodies globally, Catholic and non-Catholic. How this theology also feeds into being queer is very interesting because, because again, now God designs men and women. God designs penises and vaginas to fit into each other, right? right? Mm-hmm. That's how – so God – so therefore God has – is communicating to us somehow that the only good sex, the only sex that's pa- capable of goodness is heterosexual sex. So – ultimately what this means is, they call it complementarity, is that it's as unnatural for a woman to want to be a priest as it is for two men to have sex or two women to have sex or, you know, gender creative people to have sex. Yeah. Right? That's so interesting. And these are teachings that were, like, created years and years and years ago. Go back to the fourth century. Yeah. 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 Uh, But there there are more modern takes on it. Yeah. And is, is that like parish to parish or? I mean, you will never hear in a parish anyone espouse women, women's ordination to the priesthood or same-sex marriage. It is illegal everywhere that the Catholic Church has power and authority. But Catholic universities are interesting places because they have a little bit more play in the line if they're more progressive. And so you have this great, for the last generation or two, these great theologians coming up who are doing feminist theology, doing queer theology, and are trying to dismantle this this rigid complementarity, these very rigid gender roles, because ultimately they don't work. Right. Nature isn't that simple. Nature is not a binary, you know, gender. Yeah. I mean, I think I was just reading one in a thousand people is not, is neither male nor female. Mm-hmm. So what's God telling us there? Right. You know, uh, so the, the, the Catholic hierarchy likes to think it's really that simple, but it isn't, you know, they know that. And so you've got more trans people now doing really wonderful work um, because the Catholic Church, unfortunately, knows it lost the battle about same-sex marriage, but it really has um, its target on trans people now in some really disturbing ways. So we need more of that theology and much more acceptance in Catholic spaces for people who are trans, non-binary, gender creative. What do you think is needed to make that change? So you have to dismantle the theology. That's what has to happen. The Catholic Church has to say, has to get beyond these rigid complementarian uh, understandings of sex and gender. And, and you know, it has to start to really listen to nature. You know, the Catholic Church is a believer that God is everywhere. It's a beautiful part of their theology and that God is working in all of nature, right? So God is always accessible. God's grace is constantly being given, except when you're queer, apparently, or a woman. You know, this is the irony, right? And so it really needs to embrace its roots, its fundamental notion of God being everywhere and God working everywhere. And if you want to understand God, to look at nature. So what is nature telling us when you have women with extraordinary gifts for leadership and you have men that are extraordinarily good nurturers and servants? You know, I mean, you, you we're all, according to the Catholic Church, we're just imprisoned by our bi- biologies. And it's just not even true to the, really the fundamental way ca- the, ca- the Catholic tradition thinks. So if they could start to see, really listen to nature, really listen to people and their experience, uh, they, they learn. But that would, that would require a certain amount of humility that the Catholic leadership does not have. You, so you time. think this comes from the leadership, not from the people? This is the, no, this is absolutely the hierarchy. They are the ones that make the rules. No layperson has any power making Catholic doctrine. 
the only people that can determine what the church believes is is clergy, is men, only men, and men who are in power. Um, and usually all those men are, are celibate, supposedly, you know, in theory. So, yeah, so that's part of the problem is the way the Catholic system is. It's so patriarchal. It's so hierarchical that lay people don't have a voice, you know, uh, you know, so they listen to what they want to listen to. And it's not a democracy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Believe me, I've been with groups of women at the in Rome. We've done protests. We've done St. Peter's. We've been arrested. We've been detained, you know. And, it, you know, I, you'd have to have a very large group. But even that, you know, protest. You had a thousand women on St. Peter's Square saying, you know, doing a sit-in and saying, we, we're not going to take this anymore. They might hear it and they might factor it into a new document or something, but it's very hard to make change. It's it's not a democracy. It is the oldest monarchy in the world, and it's a rigid... It's not like William and Harry monarchy. It's like <laughs> old-fashioned medieval monarchy, yeah. you know? Do you think then, like, what what is it that people can do? Yeah, I think that the best thing they can do is just keep telling their stories, finding bishops who will listen, um, you know, and, you know, you have to keep struggling, you know, one way or another. Um, you know, I'm a little different from the Catholic lesbian group in that I'm outside the church now. Um, I still call myself Catholic, um, but I'm not go. I don't go to a parish anymore. Uh, so I'm kind of struggling from outside the walls and they're kind of struggling from inside. And I think that, you, you, there's no right way to struggle for change and to tell your story. And I think that we have to get beyond those boundaries, you know, as Catholics. Um, and I think that's the only thing we can really do. We can also speak with our feet and stop going, stop giving them money. Money is a very powerful thing in the Catholic Church, um, you know, and, you know, there's, there's, a, there's some movements brewing among Catholic women because the reality is Catholic women— uh, have 85% of the jobs in the church. No power, mm -hmm. but 85% of the supportive roles. Oh, I didn't know so that. That's so interesting. It's, it's remarkable. And so there's been some movements to try to make a, a strike day for Catholic women and see what, what the functioning of the church is like when women walk out. So I think things like that, I think, you know, you need definitely more actions also, more protest, more images of protest. I mean, we have a lot of great theologians making wonderful arguments. But um, I think it has to be action. It has to be, you know, those kinds of witnesses. They, they do reverberate, you know. So that's the best we can do, you know. <laughs> Still a little bleak. It is. It is. When you have a radical patriarchy in power. Yeah. Yeah. And no, no avenues for a voice or decision making. Right. It is bleak, you know. Um, and I think people don't really get that like yeah, I yeah. as someone who's not Catholic mm. prior to actually sitting down to think about this episode mm. and talking to you and talking to Stephanie mm. I never really thought about just what you're up against exactly yeah you don't see the power the power structure for what it is you know um, and I think that if you find little parishes like Xavier where you can get a foothold and you can have a voice and you can have a presence, those are wonderful things to take advantage of. You know, and the Catholic lesbians do a really great job, you know, at Xavier of, of, of you know, taking whatever platform they can, kind of like what I'm doing at the National Catholic Reporter, you know. And so you, the best you can do, I think, is what in, inside the institution is provide that welcoming space and say we're here, you know. Is there a space, do you think, for 
little offshoots of, I, I don't know like the right terminology, mm-hmm. but forming your own parish or practicing the way that you would like to and forming community Absolutely. groups around that. Absolutely. And there's, there's been, an, uh, that, that's been kind of a tradition for 20, 30 years of people creating Catholic intentional communities that are non-hierarchical and that the community does the liturgy together and they receive communion. They don't need a priest. Um, and there's definitely communities like that. And I think among millennials, there's so, sort of, I've seen more of a resurgence of small communities like that. The problem is they don't get institutional support, you know, and it's a lot of work, you know, yeah. holding yeah. up a community. And, and when you're not a conformist institution, you've got a lot of people with a lot of opinions and it's hard to move forward. You know, you've got to try to get as many people on board as you can. And it's tricky. Because I was talking to Stephanie. We were talking about how, like, the, the Catholic lesbians group is so rare. Mm-hmm. I think what makes a Catholic lesbian group really interesting at Xavier and singular uh, is that you have a lot of gay communities at parishes, Catholic parishes in New York, but they're really dominated by men. Um, that's true of St. Paul's. There's a group called Out at St. Paul's up by Lincoln Center at St. Paul's Church. Um, but it's almost, like, completely men. Um, and I, I mean, the reason for that is because women, we are already so marginalized because of our gender in the Catholic Church that women just don't have a stake in it. And, and something I like to say that bears repeating over and over is that even though these men are gay, these Catholic men, they still have a stake in it because they saw their physical form in power in the church growing up. And in fact, a number of priests are quietly, openly gay. So they've seen their bodies and their own sexualities in power. A woman has, Catholic woman has never seen that. So they don't have a stake in it. And, and, and they're just so marginalized. So the Catholic lesbian group is really interesting because they really stick with it in a way that most women just won't, won't even invest that way. So. Once again, I'm Kelly Drake, and this has been Hop in My U-Haul. The music you heard in this episode is by Recreational Mouthwash. Of course, thank you to WNYU Radio and Shane Patterson for helping make this podcast happen. For more, check out previous episodes or find at Hop in My U-Haul on Instagram and at Kelly M. Drake 19 on Twitter. See you next time.